The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie. Well, have you seen the new campaign to encourage safe behaviour and learn to live with COVID-19? It was launched by the Department of Health last weekend and features posters designed by Waterford's Fatty Burke with logos like masking for a friend and wear the face off yourself. So what a perfect excuse to talk to Fatty about the campaign, why she's called Fatty and her career so far. You're so welcome to the Hi, Sunday Hi. Grill. Hi, it's great to see you. You too. And lovely day. I'm loving your posters. My favourite one is wear the face off yourself. Uh, isn't that the funny? See, I can't take credit for coming up with the copy because the in-house team at TBWA did all the, the headlines, the copy for it. But uh, I will take... I'll take some credit for it. I just love a visual pun. I love a pun. Oh, so I loved they it. They were very funny. And did they show you a few of them and just pick four or? And um, we oh. actually did five. Five in where, total. Um, it's still in progress. Like I was only working on it this morning still. Wow. So, um, we have five messages to roll out. So there's the masking for a friend, which is wear your mask. Mm, love that um, one. Step up and step back, which mm-hmm. is the social distancing. We're... Um, we have a, a hand washing one. Yeah, wash and go. And um, wash and go, yes. My shampoo of choice when I was eight. <laughs> oh, yeah, wash and go. <laughs> yeah, wash and go. Um, <laughs> then we are um, download the COVID app. Oh, okay. Download the COVID tracker app. And then the one, um, the last one is coughing into your elbow. Oh, into your, into elbow. your elbow. Yes. That's something that people, I think, uh, still need to be reminded of. It's mm. just such a reflex, you know. Oh, totally. I see little kids doing it. It seems to be yeah. something they really know to do. Whereas I occasionally still cough into my hands. So it is something we have to learn to do. I think you're one of the few illustrators whose name I know really well. Oh, that's good. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? Well, see, my my parents first when I changed my, like, didn't change my name legally to Fatty or anything. Like, that's just my work nickname. Okay. But they're first like, why would you want people to call you that? But it actually sticks in people's minds. It does. So I think it was a clever career move on my and part. And how did you make that move? Is it a child's nickname or? Yeah, pretty much. So so my real name is Cathy Burke. And I don't know if you know that there's an actress called Cathy Burke. Oh, yes. Um, in England. Yes, and comedian. comedian, yeah. Mm. And I love her work, like with Harry Enfield and stuff. But um, when I was first starting out in college, I found it hard to Google my own work because she would always come up. Okay. So I was like, okay, I need a nickname. And my oldest brother used to call me Fatty just because it rhymes with Cathy. Okay. Um, as kind of like a little taunt. <laughs> and so you're okay with that? Reclaiming it, yeah. And it's done quite well for you too. Exactly. Yeah, I think kids always find it really funny. And since I work in kids publishing a lot, they love calling me Fatty. I think that's just a fun word to yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell us about how this all started for you. Are you someone who went to college to do art? Was it always your passion when you were in school? Always, like always wanted to do art. I went to NCD and I studied visual communications. So like graphic design and illustration. And um, yeah, so like I've just been doing it nonstop since I was a kid, always drawn. Um, it's a second nature to me. Yeah. And you collaborate with your dad a lot with a lot of the books like Historiopedia and books like that that you've both done together. He's the Is he the content side of it and then you're the illustration? Yeah, he's the words and I'm the pictures. He's like a natural storyteller. So does that mean that when you were a kid and said you wanted to get into art, they were okay with that? Mm, like, <laughs> they were okay with it. I think, encu- like, always encouraging. But I think when I went to art school, the first year you don't, uh, choose a discipline you're kind of just trying everything out mm-hmm. and I really wanted to be a painter um, and then I decided I'd do visual communications which felt more like a job job okay, because I could do get into business or something I could work in a graphic yeah. design studio mm. and they were happy with that decision but then I kind of s- scrapped that and I'm drawing in my house all day instead <laughs> and how is it all going like are you constantly working at the moment I am yeah and I've had a lot of training for this quarantine lifestyle like isolated work style because like I 
I have to self-discipline in like setting my own hours and I always have. So I, I kind of know what I'm doing mm. for the most part. It's still different because the normal distractions that I would have to break up my day, like maybe I go to a coffee shop and work for a few hours or I go to the library or something. I can't obviously do all that mm-hmm. anymore. So it was very much, it was kind of in my wheelhouse, I think. So. And your biogs, many biogs on different literary websites say uh, you either live in Amsterdam or you live in Lisbon. Where where are you living? <laughs> I know, yeah, like I need to update all these people. Um, so I'm in Waterford now. Okay. I live in Waterford City. Um, I'm from Dunmore originally. Um, but yeah, for the last few years I had been travelling. Mm-hmm. When I went to college, I stayed in Dublin for like 11 years. And that's kind of my second home. Um, but then I went to Amsterdam and to Lisbon. And then I, I moved back from Lisbon in March for this. Okay, for, for this as in for the pandemic. <laughs> for the pandemic, <laughs> for this interview So did you, like, was it March 12th when you went, okay, I'm leaving or? Yeah, I think it was the first week of March. Okay, that back, yeah. was that a case of you saw something was happening or had you always intended to come back to Waterford? Um, I always intended to come back to Ireland. Um, I had like some kind of uh, personal um, breakup as okay, well at the, yeah. at the time. Mm. So I, I knew I needed to make a decision and COVID was kind of, it wasn't as apparent when I was over in Portugal. It didn't uh-huh. really feel as urgent. Like when I came back to Waterford in the start of March, I was like, oh, there's hands on everywhere. Like I just had, that hadn't crept in over there yet. But um, but I was, God, it's the perfect timing. Like, because, you know, it's feel I feel safe and close to family. I could help out for yeah. a few months when my parents couldn't leave the house and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was it Waterford, like, do you intend to, because I suppose when you think of the creative arts, a lot of people say Dublin is the place to be, but mm-hmm. does it work for you to be in Waterford, post-pandemic even? Yeah, it does. Well, I found it, I haven't lived here since I was 18, like, you know, lived, lived here mm. since I moved to college. So coming back, it was like seeing it for the first time again. And I just, I like to find inspiration in lots of small things. So um, a lot of blue has been creeping into my work. <laughs> just from Waterford the, blue. From the Waterford blue. Um, and yeah, going to Tremore and Dunmore, like since the 2K was lifted, has been, um, it's, I don't want to be anywhere else in the world. Like I just, Dunmore East is my favourite place in the world. How so. lovely. And how yeah. different to Lisbon and to Amsterdam as well. <laughs> yeah. like a real, like I suppose not a culture shock because you're from here, but a completely different lifestyle, I'd say. Exactly, yeah. And do you know what? Like from living abroad, it's nice to come back and be able to just be myself and speak the language, mm-hmm. which is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, that people understand you. Yeah, so <laughs> when you're kind of freaking out about like wearing masks and washing your hands, it's nice to be able to communicate with people <laughs> in centre, you know, about yeah. like... Oh, this is mad. <laughs> and you seem to have a keen interest in history. Does that come from your dad? Like a lot of your books, your um, illustrative nonfiction books are about ancient civilizations, Irish his- heroes, even evolution. Is that an interest of yours or yeah. and, and does it come from your dad? It definitely comes from my dad, yeah, because <laughs> he's a huge history buff and local history as well. And you said yeah. a great storyteller too. Exactly, yeah, okay. like it really puts you into, um, like, oh God, when I say storyteller, like when you're at Sunday lunch with him, it's... Um, say any topic and then this is like he'll talk for the rest and of the, the evening and he'll know about it um, but yeah history is a big uh, interest of mine now a lot of the stuff since I've worked on so many books a lot of the stuff doesn't really stay in my head for very long mm. <laughs> you know because like you're learning about ancient Egypt and then the next time you're doing a book about you know Michelle Obama and mm-hmm. things kind of kind of come in and out but I love working with 
this in the fiction in the non-fiction um, realm because kids love learning yeah. and I love like I think my excitement and my dad's excitement for history then will rub off on the kids who read the books and I think what's great about what your dad does is, is there's a human interest element to it so remember when we were in school it was like learn off that date and then this happened in that date mm. there is a lot of storytelling around it which what history is it's all about stories yeah and I think there's a real skill in it like when you're taking something like so our latest book that's coming out in September is about Mary Robinson oh she's a badass I love her so she's much she's amazing she's a real hero of mine mm. and since it's current history you know because she's you know um, she's still doing her thing mm. that uh, it's hard to like imagine it like a fairy story you know it's just a, this is just a list of her amazing achievements and mm. stuff so it's a real skill for dad to be able to make that into a story that children would would enjoy reading you know yeah and it's funny to think that it is for children so because when you read things like uh, some of the books you've had in the past they 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 would interest me even and the illustrations that go with it but you're trying to give this uh, information which is usually brand new information to kids mm-hmm. is that a particular skill he has do you think yeah exactly yeah, it really is and he likes to um i think just excite children with uh with facts you know like yeah. a, a fountain of facts <laughs> sure and crazy facts i'd say as well like mm-hmm. you know lots of weird and wonderful things that happen down through the years yeah and anything to do with ireland as well is always um is always kind of his forte and how did you choose mary robinson as your latest book um, good question because we had so it's in part of the little library series yeah. that's called with Gill. Um, so we're it started off with Grania Whale, Brian Baru. So I suppose those are quite ancient stories. Mm. Um, and then we had um Countess Markovich and Tom Crean. So I, I guess subconsciously we were kind of moving towards the current day with the heroes we chose. Mm. But we wanted to alternate the genders from book to book, but also we kind of have a long list of heroes who we want to write about. And she was the one that I was pushing for just because I, I, she's a huge hero of mine and I would love her to see the book, <laughs> you know, and hold it. And her illustrations. Yeah. Mm. God, I really hope that she is flattered by the illustrations. I got to draw lots of her really colourful parasuits. You know, she has really oh, distinctive yes. styles. Mm. That's fun for me. Was there anything in particular about her, like any story that you'd heard about her that you really wanted to get across to people? Because I suppose to us, she's... Um, the first female president in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So that's what most people know her as, but she's so many other things as well. Yeah, I think um, we wanted to get across, obviously for me, that was the first thing I thought of too, because I grew up in an Ireland where mm. the president was a female. Mm. Lots of people across the world can't relate to that, you know. Yeah, and it was just normal. Yeah, it was just normal for mm. us. And then the president after that was female too. So, yeah, which um, is great. But we tried to highlight just how she's a champion for fairness. You know, she's all about equality, um, in terms of you know race, religion, sex, and and then her passion in the environment as well, which was is highlighted in the book too. Brilliant, and that's out in September. Yeah, September fourth. Great. Do you do your like you said you're on the dining room table now doing a lot <laughs> of your work? Is your dad beside you, or do you work separately and then come together towards the end? Oh no, we work separately actually. We yeah. Work separately. So when we first started Irelandopedia in 2015, mm. I was living in Dublin at the time. So we did everything over email. I kind of do it's like the same all of my jobs. I do everything over email. So he would write and then send me up the files and I would deconstruct them, make them into pages. So I think that's just the way we've learned how to work now. And it works So well. he'll work. He has a cabin in the back of the garden that he goes to and he writes and he has all those books everywhere. So he'll do his research and his writing and then just let me know when it's done. Do you know, like I don't see behind So even his though magic. you're, what, 100 feet away from him now, you're still <laughs> working separately. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> And it works. Yeah, I think I I work better when I'm alone, for sure. 
And what you were saying with his books, is it mostly books that he's getting stuff for? Is he a real, like I get stuck in such a rabbit hole of the internet sometimes. Mm -hmm. Is it like that too? Or is it like reference books all the time? See, he has a great um, library that he's built himself over the years. Mm. Lots of reference books, lots of biographies. Because he's really into reading biographies, autobiographies. So, and do you read these books as well? God no, no. <laughs> we have different interests in that way. Like I like to. I'm a real like fiction reader. Yeah, I've never read a non-fiction book. Really? Yeah, can't do it. I read like Tina Fey's autobiography. Or something. Oh yeah. Oh like, no, sorry. I tell a lie. Um, I read Mia Farrow's autobiography once, oh, nice. but I really doubted that she could remember all those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's you know, like a, an untrustworthy yeah, come narrator. On. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a real fiction fan. So he he does all that work, and then. Like, does he have an input into your illustrations then? No, not at all. See, it's funny when I started and I asked him, would he do Ireland-a-pedia with me? He was like, oh, yeah, I'll help you out on your project. Like, it was kind of like he thought he'd just be doing it as a favour for me. So it still feels like, well, he makes it feel like it's my job and he's just behind the scenes. You know? He's a very humble man. And how yeah. lovely to have this working relationship with your dad as well. You know, it's yeah. so special. People always say, like, you need to spend more time with your parents, but it's nice to... To do it in a different type of scenario, do you know? Yeah, exactly. Like we're equals. <laughs> yeah, you're working partners. You're mm-hmm. not, not just daughter and, and father as well. Well, you have, of course, done these posters very much uh, on your own with the Department of Health. Um, there's five in total, as you said, and you can check them out there. Some of them are up on your Instagram as well if you want to follow Fatty. It is Fatty Burke. Well done on everything. Thank you so much. And looking forward to seeing the Mary Robinson book as well. Thanks a million for Me coming too. in. <laughs> Thanks, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. After months of lockdown, live theatre returned to a number of venues in the southeast this week. Wexford-based Billy Roach was the first in the region to bring the curtain up on a live performance with his Red Guitar Tour at Wexford Arts Centre. On Tuesday, the Watergate Theatre welcomed audiences back for the first time to see Rough Magic Theatre Company's production of Solar Bones. And smaller theatres like the Little Theatre in Gorey have also been welcoming audiences with a limited capacity my next guest is a Wexford musician who has been performing nearly all of his life. But at the end of this month, he's doing something he's never done in his career before. He'll be performing alone on stage, surrounded by drums, not fellow musicians. Connor Moore is on the phone to explain. Well, that is a, an over explanation of what you are doing, really, Connor, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. I have to say it is a little bit scary whenever you say it and then therefore I'm not thinking it at all. So, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. drums and no, you're grand, you're grand. It kind of, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it is a little bit scary. It's definitely something new. Uh, it could be the start of something new as well, bringing drummers back out to the front again. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that, that'll ever be a thing, but I'm definitely willing to give it a go. Give it a go in your own theatre in Gorey in North Wexford. Look, let's do your CV, because I think people are going to recognise your name for lots of different things. Uh, you run a drumming school, Sound Out Rhythm, in North Wexford, where you're from. You're in Shulin, yep. the bilingual Irish-English six-speech band formed in Closh to Lurgan, kind of the people yep. behind the Irish translations of really popular songs. Remember when that was a big thing a few years ago? Um, You've played in Wembley, in Three Arena. Um, You've always been busy. But I suppose COVID came and and ended all that, did it? Yeah, it kind of did. Um, It's kind of, uh, it's something that we'll never be able to accept. But um, it is the new normal. I know that the phrase that's that's kind of been overused, Mm. but it's, it definitely is, uh, and it is the kind of, this is the time now to start thinking outside the box, like with the theatre here in Gorey, who have kindly uh, 
um, asked me to put on a, a show with other with with six other artists on other nights. Um, yeah, to start kind of thinking outside the box where um, other musicians and performers can actually uh, demonstrate and perform and exhibit their um, their art and craft. Um, but yeah, it's it's a struggle. Absolutely. Um, I kind of thank that. Uh, um, I, I thank God that um, I should do a good bit of teaching and a, and a few workshops in schools are mm. are back going again. But uh, as regards to the gig inside of things, yeah, it, it's it is it is very bleak. Like even there, like I was supposed to have a gig there two weeks ago for a wedding for about fifty guests, and um, it was with a DJ and and sax and. I actually had to get cut out of the, oh, of, of the band because they were trying to look after numbers and things like that. And you'd that, be one of the fifty, of course. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And when you say about like the little theatre, for example, thinking outside the box, um, like for example, Ellen Piper, Mark Redmond, who's also from Gory, played to us. Like I know, sold out is fifty now, but to hear that there was a sold out theatre for an Ellen Piper is. Amazing! Like there's there's some advantages to this, isn't there? It is. It like absolutely. Um, I know that I'm biased and kind of saying it, but like Gory is a, an absolute brilliant town to support. Whether um, whether it's to do with music or if it's uh, GA or if it's anything um, that anyone is putting on, you can always count on the public mm. of um, Gory to actually sell it out and make it a great night for all. Like and yeah people for uh, Ian Piper now in saying that Mark is a is a fantastic player he's been all over the world he's yeah. done and it's quite a treat to Riverland. see someone like him who's been internationally oh, yeah. renowned to see him in his in his in his hometown absolutely like Mark is now putting on another night now next Wednesday which I can actually go to and whatever does come up on Wednesday I will make sure to cancel because I want to go see Mark and I think that's what it is I think people are just itching to go out and be entertained. Yeah. And, I think in a, and maybe you don't agree with this, but I think there's something lovely about knowing that it really is only over an hour. Sometimes two, two and a half hours of a, a performance in a theatre can make people a little bit antsy. It can. I, yeah, uh, I, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think some players could be well capable of fitting the gist of two hours into one hour mm. without actually rushing and things like that. You know, they could do less of maybe a quarter of like the of like the gig of a two hours and make it into like a fifteen minute part. Yeah. You know, just to kind of get by. An hour probably does fly by as well because we are so used to two hours to two and a half hours. But yeah, uh, coming from a performer, um, when you do hit the clock at an hour and forty, and maybe and maybe you're not feeding off the audience as much as you would like to you do kind of start watching the clock and stuff yeah, which is an hard. awful thing like yeah. but with an hour to say in your hometown in front of your family and your friends and anyone who is a fan of drums i i think i think the public will come out of uh, curiosity i i'll definitely have family and friends there um and they'll probably want to see what does a drummer do for an hour yeah. on his own. Yeah, and you what know, will you do? Is, <laughs> um, I, I have, that's a very good question. Um, what I you see because there's such an array of percussion and drums that I that 
that I, that I have been doing over the past, you could say, 10 years of touring and things like that. Like I will be looking in um, massively into the Bowron, which is my uh-huh. which is my first instrument. I will be sharing with the audience that I was self taught on uh, most of the drums and things like that. I will mention some of my mentors as well that I kind of look up to and and still do. Um, I'll be looking into the Spanish drums, so the Spanish culture of drumming and. Latin playing, and then I'll be having a look at the African drum, the djembe, um, and having a look at some tribal Brilliant. rhythms and things like that, and how and how that they were fused with with uh, Irish music. Like so there's a bit some of pieces from happening as well. A little bit, I think. I think because there's 50 people, you kind of have to. I think you kind of have to bite the bullet and say this is an intimate gig. This is where you can sit down mm. right in front of only fifty people. Like I know only fifty people sounds a little bit like like that. It's not an awful lot, but when but when you're playing to a theater that holds three hundred and sixty six people mm-hmm. and there's only fifty in it, mm. it really is. It's not a whole lot, like no, you know, and it's um, very intimate as well. It, it is intimate, but I, I would have to say, I, I, I would much prefer to play in front of ten thousand now okay. than fifty people. <laughs> that is, and that, and that's as regards to, um, you know, nerves and things that I would much prefer to play to ten thousand. I wouldn't yeah. feel any nerves, but to you fifty don't want people to be picking out your auntie in the middle of the theater because there's only fifty no, people. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Oh, you see, you can see 50 faces. Yeah, exactly. That could be the problem. Listen, how That's did this all start for you? Who was the relation who foolishly gave you a set of drums? I think if drums were brought into my house, I'd be like, take them away. They're too noisy. Um, I I think it was, uh, I think it was just something that I just could not avoid because my mother's side of the family, um, they all play trad music, like okay. any event like a birthday or a christening or a wedding will always end with the 14 hour 16 hour obsession of just music <laughs> really? uh, but my my grandfather who passed away there last year he was a drummer his whole life and I remember him sitting up in the attic with myself and the brother and he going over how how to move to a jig with a, with a set of sticks holding the sticks right he used to just come up to the house unannounced bring in a snare drum and that and that was kind of it that was the kind of start of it I used to put on CDs my father used to do a bit of a skit years ago he brought home a Guinness Baron that was up in Lansdowne Road I picked it up one day and I it just started and a really very has, very expensive well an expensive hobby but one that has become yeah. your career totally yeah mm. totally it's um, you know it's it's kind of like what they say, you'll never work a day in your life when mm-hmm. you do something that you absolutely love. Like, mm-hmm. I I just love it. Like, it's not as if I close the doors whenever I'm teaching and then I just don't turn on music. I get straight back into the car and I'm putting on bands like Cool the Shaker and things like that and mm-hmm. I'm learning tunes constantly and then I'll ring one of the lads and we'll talk about gigs and then I get into bed and then YouTube till all hours watching Jimi Hendrix or something it just it just doesn't stop like and I know that it probably drives my wife mad but she just I think she, I think she kind of knew what she was getting herself in for as well so she understands I, 
I hope. <laughs> okay, well, listen, as we said, you are going to be in your home theatre, Gory Little Theatre, on August 28th. That is Friday week. And um, you can search Gory Little Theatre on Facebook for more details. We did say you have a drumming school as well, which is Sound Out Rhythm. Are you hoping to get back to that in the school year? Um, I sh- yeah, I surely do. I'm, I've actually been back since July. Brilliant. And um, I'm, ap- yeah, and business is going well. Um, I have... Uh, a lot of adults coming, a lot of kids. I've got group classes, private classes, and workshops as well down around Wexford Town and Gory. Okay, good stuff. Well, you want to check that out. It's South Sound Out Rhythm. Um, dot I E. Listen, best of luck on Friday week. An hour Thank of drumming solo. I think you're going to be brilliant. It sounds like a really special event, and people can check out Gory Little Theatre's Facebook if they want to get more details. Cheers, Connor. Super. Thanks, Orla. Bye bye. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Let's talk Tess. That's an adaptation of Tess of the Durbervilles, which is touring the southeast to some special venues at this month. Outdoor venues, in fact. Signe Laurie is the director and she's on the phone with more information. You're very welcome, Signe. Thank you. Um, you're part of a company called Gift Horse. You founded just two years ago. You were all in college together. Tell us why you decided to set up a theatre company. Yeah, so um, the five of us are all in college together, and we've sort of been making various fits together, whether in class or in societies. Um, But we kind of wanted to, I guess, go the next step um, and see if we could make things that we could take on elsewhere. So it actually originated with this production of tests, which we first staged um, in May 2019. Um, So we all got together and we applied for a grant from Trinity and... um, Fortunately, we received the grant. Um, so we went ahead with the show, and it's been great since then. We've obviously been a bit curtailed in how we progressed due to um, COVID and all mm. the things that that's prevented, but um, we're very happy to be back and um, working again, bringing Tess back. Brilliant. And Trinity is where you're all in college, is it? Yes. Yeah. So, and what are you um, doing there? So I study English and drama, and then um, two other members of the company, Kira Berkeley, Doris DeReese, also doing this drama, and then Elise Cabanz and Maylie, he do straight drama. Ah, okay, okay. And are you still in college, or have you graduated? Uh, so we're all going into our fourth year, so kind of waiting with bated breath to see how things are going to shape I up. I know, because drama via yeah. Zoom would be very strange, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, we were doing um, a bit of that last term, and it was kind of interesting to see how that worked. So I think we're all just crossing our fingers that we'll be able to do some sort of practical stuff, you know, respecting the guidelines, but at least yeah. meeting in person. Yeah, fingers crossed you. You call um, yourself environment, environmentally conscious theatre. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, so um, I was really keen to kind of um, be open about the fact that we're environmentally conscious because I think quite often, um, kind of in all walks of life, when you're trying to be kind of eco-conscious, it can be quite daunting. So I think um, we're very conscious about the fact that it's just something that we're trying to bear in mind. We're not necessarily completely perfect. But I suppose some of the steps that we've taken are, um, so our costumes are entirely secondhand, um, which is something I was really passionate about. And then with the rest of our props and set, we've kind of tried to use natural materials where we can or um, otherwise trying to use things that we know we can reuse in the future. Um, And also the nature of making theatre outside is great because it means that, you know, we don't need loads of lights and all that kind of thing. So we have some solar-powered fairy lights, but that's um, as far as we go. Okay. Um, Yeah. And were you always going to be outside, pandemic or no pandemic? Was it always going to be a touring um, piece of theatre that was outside? Yeah, so we were quite fortunate, actually, in that um, when we first performed Test, we designed it for the Rose Garden in Trinity, um, which is a really lovely little space kind of tucked away in the middle. 
Um, so when we planned to tour originally, we were already looking at um, kind of houses and gardens uh, in the southeast. So, um, yeah, we were quite lucky in that it was sort of tailored to that environment already. You're so lucky with houses in the southeast as well. There's some phenomenal ones. Yeah, they're gorgeous. We're, two of us, the members of our company, Alishka and May, are from the Wexford-Waterford area. So when we sort of decided to tour it, they were all naming all these beautiful places that they knew of. So it's been great to check them out. Tell us about Tess. It's a, as I said, um, it's an original adaptation of Thomas Hardy's Tess of the D'Urbervilles. I feel I, it was a BBC adaptation at one stage, wasn't it? Is that how I know Tess of the D'Urbervilles? Probably, yeah. There's a film with um, Gemma Arkin in, and then I yes. think there was also a BBC adaptation as well. And of course, I'm I'm sure I read it somewhere. It's some. I, it definitely wasn't a Leaving Cert book, but I've re- I'm sure it yeah. is one of those <laughs> one of type of books. Tell us about yeah. your adaptation about Tess and and who Tess is and her place in the world. Sure. Yes. So um, I guess the broadly the story of Tess is she's a young woman um, whose family kind of discovered that they have this noble blood, um, even though um, they're more sort of working class themselves. And unfortunately, they fall on hard times and she's sent off to kind of try and um, help them out. Um, and she meets a young man um, who ends up assaulting her and she kind of has to, I guess, navigate the rest of her life with the impact that has had on her, um, which is a kind of very broad version of the story. Um, and I suppose our version is quite a kind of fresh take on it. Um, we haven't modernised the text but I think it's very modern in spirit mm-hmm. um, and so we've kind of I mean as far as a literary classic can be hotly debated I think Tess is quite a hotly debated novel in um, people's uh, interpretations of whether or not it's a feminist novel um, some people even go so far as to argue whether or not she was assaulted which I think is mm. a step too far but um, so we've kind of tried to embody that through these three characters of the villages um, who all have a different kind of perspective on the, to- on the story and they basically narrate it and kind of um, navigate through those different interpretations uh, and it's quite kind of it's all very metatheatrical and um, kind of energised so it's quite uh, obviously the story has um, a quite a serious message mm-hmm. or uh, kind of uh, element at its heart but we've kind of tried to bring a bit of a lightness of touch to it so it should be entertaining as well and you're doing that with live music and dance there's even some puppetry in the story yeah yeah so we've um we have our amazing musical director sam killian um wrote an entirely original score for the piece um which is just gorgeous and it's so lovely when we rehearse with the band as well and everything kind of um comes together and then uh, also meant that we were able to include all these dances, which myself and Doris DeVries, who's a member of the company, um, worked on. And then, yeah, the puppets are probably one of my favourite elements of it. We have um, the amazingly talented Choi Payne Clark, who made them for us. Um, we have a horse, a cow, and then a recent addition was um, an udder that I requested. Which a I'm what? Very Sorry? A... An udder. An udder? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm very excited for that to make it debut. So before that, the cow didn't have another. Well, it was a cow head, so there ah, was kind of, okay. uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> well, listen, you're going to be in some beautiful parts of the southeast on the 20th of August. You'll be in Capaquin House and Gardens in County Waterford. Then the next day, on the 21st, you're in Woodville House and Gardens in New Ross in County Wexford. And then from the 22nd to the 23rd of August, you are in Wells House, which is so well known in Gorey in County Wexford. And um, you're going to the tickets can be found on your Facebook page if you just search for gift. Horse Theatre or Instagram as well. It's Gift Horse Theatre. What a lovely experience to sit in 
a garden and see an adaptation of such a classic novel. I need to ask you before you go, Signe, are you living a normal people type life in Trinity? With <laughs> Um, I mean, I suppose we we can imagine that we are. I think. Um, Did you recognise a lot of the places when Normal People was on? Yeah, it was quite hard. Sometimes I had to kind of remind myself to be engaged in the story because you just end up spotting things. Yeah. And out. Uh, yeah. yeah it was fab and it did so well and Trinity looks great in it as well but in the yeah. meantime the uh, adaptation of Tess of the Durbervilles is called Tess it comes from Gift Horse Theatre and that's what you need to search on Facebook or on Instagram if you want to check out where they are in the southeast towards the end of August it was so lovely to talk to you Signe that is Signe Laurie she is the director of Tess coming to the southeast thank you The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, Waterford Walls is underway in the city of Waterford, as the name suggests, and runs until... August 28th. If you're out and about in Waterford, do check out the Jack Charlton mural on Schlieve-Keel Road. It is just fabulous. Niall O'Loughlin is a Dublin-based artist and he's the man behind it. He's been in the southeast for Waterford Walls and murals for communities which seeks to explore, capture and formalise the potentials of mural arts. He worked with Quilin Hanton from Waterford on the Jack Charlton project and Niall says he had already created a mural of Big Jack. I've already painted a Jack Charlton wall and um, you know, I, I, I was happy enough with it but you know, I didn't quite get the resemblance the first time. So, um, and then, so what it was, we're kind of keen to get a representation of, of Jack Charlton up there as a, as a bit, you know, as a legend. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people with good memories of him. So um, they wanted to preserve that. So I got Quillen in, um, Quillen Hanson in for that. And uh, so, so she really nailed the portrait of him. But it's brilliant. That, and we've been getting such good feedback uh, all day. Everyone was going past yesterday with their windows rolled in because of the heat. And everyone's just shouting something uh, as they go, boy, all positive. So, uh, so it's, it's actually been a great way of tying in with some of the community that, you know, there's a few heads I wouldn't usually chat to. They stop and talk to you on the side of the road and tell you a story about Jack and the rest. So, um, yeah, it's been really, it's been really it's been good fun now. And Niall believes that Waterford Walls could become a festival that other cities could adopt. Ireland's crying out for more projects like Waterford Walls, you know, that, you know, because there's so much concrete and areas that are built up and, they do make for an amazing um, canvas and a lot of international artists, you know, who are coming over are of quite high spec. So um, what they've really left, when they say the mark they've left here in Waterford has been like really special. I think it'd be, it's really hard to get murals over the line. I think it's a real pity that um, people aren't as open to it. But I don't know if it's just preconceived notions of the graffiti that kind of put people off. But I think projects like Waterford Walls help give um, murals momentum and that you know you can you can use this as a as a footprint of you know what what we can all achieve if you know between the community and the artists you can create like quite a, quite a, bit, a nice impact visual impact on a city and that is artist Niall O'Loughlin talking about Waterford Walls and his mural of Jack Charlton which is on Schlievekeel Road in Waterford City. He created that with Waterford artist Keelan Hanton and Waterford Walls runs until August 28th but if you want to check out some of the work that has been created just look at their Instagram. They have so much stuff up if you just search for Washford Walls. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. 
we know by now that no one is immune to the intense emotional impact of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. It arouses a range of emotions like anxiety and fear about the future. But recently what is coming to the forefront seems to be anger from overcrowded beaches to rumours on social media. It all feels just a little bit out of control. Well, to help us decipher these feelings and help us feel less angry, Karen Holland from Sparrow Therapy based in Kilkenny City is on the phone. Hello again, Karen. Hi, Orla. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I think we talk to you every three months just to get us back into the groove of feeling okay again. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's nice to be back on again. How are you doing? Good, I suppose. Just, um, I suppose, feeling the same feelings as everybody else. Mm. Um, And as you said there, with anger, I think it definitely is. um, The frustration element is definitely building. Um, It's almost just in the air. And I think frustration is a really good descriptor of it rather than anger. But there, And in the air, there's a real feeling of you could break almost at some stage. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially if they have kind of just dead trucking on um, and haven't been self-aware about everything um, since March, I suppose, um, they're hitting breaking point, I suppose, at this point. Um it's a very overwhelming feeling to have to be in such uncertainty for such a length of time. True. What is it a byproduct of anger and annoyance? You know, if we were to go uh-huh. to weeks of counselling, what would be the crux of the issue? Do you think? Um, well, there's so many causes um, for anger, um, but basically, anger is just a reaction. Um, so. Everyone has their own triggers based on like childhood trauma, uh, current circumstances, which obviously would be COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually anger forms if a person feels powerless, frustrated, threatened, uh, invalidated or disrespected. Wow. And I think with COVID and uh, the different rules and regulations that are in place, when we see people maybe not taking heed to those rules and regulations, we feel, I can say I feel all those emotions that you've just mentioned there. Um, Lack of control, powerless, disrespected. But at the same time, I'm able to say, I'm able to see that I'm being a bit extreme, you know? The beaches beaches are a real example for me. People's very extreme reactions to people going to the beach when really if we can stand back from it we can see that an awful lot of people do work Monday to Friday if it's a gorgeous day on a Saturday and they want to spend the day on their family with their family they will more than likely go to the beach but that means that that's probably a common theme that's running through a lot of families and if you don't live near a beach you need to drive to that beach yes um, and, you know, I suppose there's been a lot of uncertainty of what you are supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. Mm. Um, and I think, as you said there, it's, I think everyone needs to just start focusing on what they are doing mm. um, and that that is enough, that they feel that they're doing enough rather than falling down the rabbit hole of focusing on everybody else. When really they don't know the story of what other people are doing. No, or you never why know they're what's doing happening. It. Yeah. Now, one thing I think is getting most people angry is mask wearing. And I know now it's mandatory in public spaces. So we are seeing a huge uptake on mask wearing. But I have had to ask someone to wear a mask. And I kind of say, oh, I have someone in my life who is quite vulnerable. So can you wear a mask? I've seen a lot of people say that they can't ask someone. And that makes them incredibly frustrated and angry. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I suppose, do you feel comfortable, you have to ask yourself, do you feel comfortable even to say that? 
Mm. I think a lot of people are not feeling comfortable to say, do you know what, I want to protect myself or I want to protect somebody else or I just want to do what we're being asked to do. Um, so it's to kind of be comfortable to say what you want. Mm. Um, because if you don't, then you'll fall down to frustration, powerlessness, disrespect, all that kind of mm. um, anger, emotion. Um yeah, but it is a it's a difficult one. There's a lot of opinions at the minute. There really are a lot of opinions, and again, a lot of rumors going about. I saw I saw someone write on social media that you should close the N11. That's the only way to stop this, and it really got me thinking that. You know, as human beings, we've been given this platform to say what we want. And maybe we need to think about what we say, especially during a pandemic on social media. Would you agree? I I don't know if we'll be able to completely stop people having opinions because that's a human right. Yeah, exactly. to have an opinion. But what, yeah, but what we can stop is how we are, react to it. So, you know, not going into the comment section on something that you know is going to frustrate you. Um, and having in your mindset the whole time that opinion is not fact. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the issue, that we see an opinion and then we see lots of other opini- opinions after it and then that turns into an argument. Yes. Okay, okay. Does anger and frustration, is it an age thing? As we get older, is it something that just becomes part of our condition? I feel myself getting angrier and frustrated as the years go on. Um, definitely not. I think how we are, how we react to it changes because kids certainly experience anger and frustration. Mm. And, um, oh, you know, obviously toddlers, they display that with a tantrum when they can't express an emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, people react with anger because of different reasons. So it depends on how you grow up. Um, but I think... A lot of people may have been suppressing a lot of emotion until now, and Mm. you can't really do that now. And is that a case of suddenly after lockdown, we're seeing more people? Like, you know, there were weeks that went by where we only saw the people in our households. Yes, Mm. Um, which is overwhelming. It's um, you're being a visually and sensory overload and stimulation that you haven't had, Mm -hmm. um, which is overwhelming. And a lot of people don't want to go back, Mm. but they feel that pressure. Yeah. To do that, which is difficult. And with that comes a bit of helplessness as well. Yes. Okay. Is there a time when we should seek help for anger? Is there a time where we should think, okay, this is this is a problem? Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot about anger that it's a really negative emotion. Um, but it is an emotion just like anyone else's, like, you know, or any other one, like happiness or anxiety, worry, they're all emotions. Um, and as long as they're experienced in moderation, it's okay. Um, if it is something that it is affecting your daily life, affecting how you're interacting with people, affecting your sleep, affecting your appetite, then that's when you have to say, do you know what, I need to reach out and get help. And is it always a negative emotion, Karen? Is there a time when it's needed? Like when you feel you're not being respected? Is, is there any time when anger is okay? Yes, definitely. Um, anger a lot of time brings out change. Um, for instance, for somebody who feels disrespected, um, as long as you are getting the emotion across and communicating it in a non-violent manner, mm-hmm. um, then that is actually a good thing. It brings change. Mm. Um, but obviously, if you're always angry. That's not going to bring change. Yeah. Okay. So your advice is, if I'm right... 
Don't go into the comment section of social media. That is my one no. thing that I need to stop doing, Karen, because I'm <laughs> yeah. looking at it going, are these people for real or are they just trying to rise people? And look after yourself, you know, just think about yeah. you and your family members or whoever is in your house. Don't be thinking about what other people are doing. Yes. And I know we've spoken about it um, before with, um, you know, the not complaining and actually just um, focusing on a full day of not complaining because mm. there's a difference between venting and complaining. Mm. Mm. Um, so even just admitting to yourself that you, do you know what, I'm frustrated for majority of the time. I need to check myself here. Um, I need to take a deep breath, drop my shoulders, um, find a way to release the frustration. So going for a walk, um, meeting somebody, um, and then changing your focus. So I think, obviously we're talking about it now, but, you know, not that, not everything is COVID-related. Yes, when you exactly. meet with a friend, let's, mm. say, let's not mention it. Mm, yeah, good idea. Easier said than done. It seems to be my main part <laughs> of my conversation these days. Um, <laughs> when you say frustration... Like, mm-hmm. it's hard to describe what frustration is, isn't it? It's a, it is a feeling of, of no control. But I think my problem with it is that I, my favourite term, which seems to be at the moment, is that I'm the star of my own movie. So if someone is not wearing a mask, for example, or standing too close to me, that's a slight on me. That I'm, I'm not able to think of it in, in other terms. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, and again, that's going back to... A lot of the time, it's if you don't feel assertive enough to actually say, sorry, do you mind stepping back? Or do you mind putting on your mask? Or leaving the situation yourself. Mm. Yes. Which I know you shouldn't have to do, but... Maybe you know, it's the it, best it's way in that situation. Yes. Yeah, because we're starting to hear of people, you know, being verbally abused because they might ask someone not to sit beside them or stuff like that. So maybe the best thing to do is to take yourself. And again, that goes back to your advice of looking after yourself. Yes. Okay. Um, I think as well, although it's extremely difficult, um, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, you don't know what kind of upbringing they've had. You don't know what circumstances they're in, what kind of medical condition they may have. Um, just to, It doesn't help all the time, but it will help some of the time to just give them benefit of the doubt. Okay. So no more glaring from me from behind my mask. <laughs> no. I've become the best glarer, Karen. People know my feelings. Well, if you wear sunglasses and a mask, you're sorted. Karen, there's no way I could wear sunglasses and a mask. The minute I put them on my nose, everything just fogs up. So it's sunglasses up and a good glare to people. Yeah. (laughs) But look, I am going to take your advice. And I think the best point that you gave there is giving people the benefit of the doubt. I think as human beings, we almost, and you probably see this all the time in your work that we, we think that people have had the same life experience as us and therefore should react as we react to things. Yes. And look, I understand there are people who have had, um, overcome like amazing kind of challenges in Mm. life and they are handling this well. But just because you're able to do it just means somebody else is. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you so much for solving our problems today. And as always, when you come in and talk to us here on the Sunday Grill, that is Karen Harland. You can find Karen at Sparrow Therapy and Wellness. They are based on Patrick Street in Kilkenny, but you can get more details on what they're doing. Instagram is probably the best place. I say it every time you're on, Karen, your highlights reel is just great. You have lots of stuff there about self-care, how to unplug from uh, all the things going on at the moment, self-esteem, lots and lots of advice. And if you just 
just search for Spirotherapy and Wellness, you'll find it on Instagram. Karen, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, my next guest can claim the accolade of having the first Irish movie released post-lockdown. Paddy Slattery is the director and screenwriter of Broken Law. It stars John Connors. You'll know him from Love, Hate and lots of other things. And Paddy's on the phone with more details. Hiya. Hello, hello. How's it going? Good, good. Well, I have to say, it's hard enough to release an Irish independent movie in any time, but doing it post-lockdown must be a tough one. It is. Um, I mean, obviously, we didn't really see this coming, so uh, we never imagined in a million years that we'd find ourselves uh, releasing a film during a pandemic. But look, it's all new ground for everybody in the industry, so... We're excited, but at the same time, we're a little bit, uh, I guess, I guess worried because obviously people aren't very enthusiastic about getting out into cinemas during this time. But yeah, it's a strange time. It is. And it's been strange times for cinemas in general. I am a massive cinema goer. But to see Mm. the numbers dwindling and what streaming media has done to the cinemas is hard enough. The pandemic seems to be another clout to them. Yeah, I, look, I hope it's not the final nail in the coffin for cinema because, mm. like like yourself, I think cinema is so important on a communal level. It, there's nothing that can replace that experience of sharing a movie with people, friends, family, strangers in a dark room. It it, it just turns that experience into something something magical, and and that's. I hope we never lose that. I know there's so much content online and it's easier to access it at home and it's cheaper even, but I don't know. I just hope people fall in love again with the romance of going to cinema because uh, it's something special, you know. It, it, it's, you know, obviously we have to keep our social distance and all that kind of stuff, but um, I think we need to be out there among our friends and family. Yeah. That's what makes life yeah. worth living, I think. And as we've heard, we have to live with this pandemic and and live with it safely. So if we can do that, let's try and do it. And you know what, Paddy? There's nothing nicer than spending a tenner on a large bucket of popcorn, is there? <laughs> yeah, buttered popcorn. Buttered if, uh, popcorn. If, you're, if you're if you're if you're naughty, yeah. Oh my god, I love it. I love it. You know, just even the smell going into the cinema. You can smell the popcorn and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I know, I know. There, there is something so special about cinemas and, and it would be so sad yeah. to find a generation that has never been to a cinema and sat in a red chair yeah. and watched something on a big screen. You know, we all have so many memories from being kids yeah. and going to see all those type of movies. Yeah. But let's get back to your movie, which is called Broken Law. I hear it had two titles before you decided to call it Broken Law. It did. The first title was The Broken Law of Attraction. Okay. Uh, you might be familiar with the term law of attraction. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was very much into, you know, what you put out into the universe is what you draw back in and karma and all that kind of stuff. So that was the initial theme of the story. But through the years and through different uh, sort of uh, incarnations of the script, uh, it evolved into a story of loyalty uh, between two brothers on opposite sides of the law and we felt that that's where the real drama was. So I guess the more we focused on it, it, it turned into something else, and that's why it's called Broken Law now, yeah. 
So one of those brothers is John Connors. And as you said, one of them is on the right side of the law and the other and the other is on the not so right side of the law. Well, would you believe Wallace, uh, played by John Connors, is actually the antagonist. He's the he's the troublemaker in between the two brothers. Ah, OK. But, so you've got Tristan Heaney, who plays Dave, the straight cop. And then you've got Graham Early, who plays the estranged, wayward brother who's just out of prison. And, uh, yeah, Wallace and Pete, these two guys, they throw a spanner in the works of, these, uh, of the brother relationship. And suddenly, um, like Dave, like, like I said, he, he's a guard, right? He wants to emulate his father's heroics in, 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 in the force. Mm. And so he sort of walked that straight line all his life. But suddenly his brother gets involved in a botched robbery and needs his brother's help. So Dave's loyalty then gets tested to the law. And But not only that, Dave actually takes him in against his better judgment, right? Okay. And he meets this he meets this woman, Amia, who's an unhappily married woman. And he later discovers, he falls in love with her, but later discovers that she's actually the victim of the brother's crime. And, uh, yeah, all hell breaks loose for poor old Dave. Okay. Hey, let's have a quick listen to it and then, and then we'll get back to some questions. So what's it like being a free man? It's liberating, mate. Liberating. Put the gun down and let her go. Never ask me to do you another favour again. Do you think you're better than me or something? You got a surface. When he does, I'm gonna bury him below the surface. Must ruin the family, what? That's all you're thinking. Put it down! <laughs> I was just doing my job. So that is just some of Broken Law. You have written and directed this movie and you got into filmmaking and screenwriting after a, a very bad accident. Can you tell us about that? When, when did that happen? I was 17 at the time. I was working as a painting decorator and someone left home from work. So myself and two friends, we jumped into a, a car, a stranger's car. And, um, yeah, he crashed a couple of miles out the road, and I was in the passenger seat, no seatbelt on, oh. and I sustained a spinal injury. I broke my neck, and I've remained quadriplegic ever since. Explain so, yeah, quadriplegic that's... to us. So you're paralyzed from your neck down, is that right? Uh, well, from the lower chest down, okay. and my fingers, my fingers are partially paralyzed and my triceps. So, like, paraplegic, you'd be paralyzed from the waist down. Okay. And you'd have full upper body strength. But quadriplegic is you have some upper body strength, but no upper body balance um, and that kind of stuff. And your lungs are partially paralyzed. So Okay. It's, uh, it's probably not good having a compromised uh, immune system during a global pandemic. Exactly. So you were one of the people <laughs> cocooning during that time, this time. Uh, well, well, probably should have been, but... You know what I did? I, I got myself a Fitbit and I exercised the arse off myself. Brilliant. And I, I've never been stronger. My immune system, I could pull rocks up a mountain now at this stage. That's good to hear. So while you were recuperating or in bed, that's when you started to write, was it? Well, that's, it's strange because for a few years after the crash, I was in and out of hospital for, for a couple of years. And I, I started to watch a lot of movies and listen to a lot of music. I just fell in love with film especially and just as a way of sort of of almost self-therapy, I started writing poetry and that kind of stuff and that evolved into short stories and 
then I, I started to share them with friends and family, and they said, you know, these are actually pretty good. You should consider maybe doing something on a serious level. And and that's it. Before I knew it, I was um, uh, studying, uh, like, sort of special features of DVDs and learning how to be a filmmaker. And, yeah, it was mad. It was a strange twist of fate. I never in a million years would have imagined myself as a filmmaker, especially coming from Offaly with a sort of a working-class background. Mm. And since then, you've been nominated for IFTAs. Like, your movies have done really well. And now this one, Broken yeah. Law, as we said, is out right now. Um, have you been to the cinema, Paddy? I have indeed. I have indeed. And I how love did it. you find it? How did you find it post lockdown being in the cinema? Did you feel safe? I, I did, you know, and it felt no different, to be honest. The only difference was we went to a couple of screening events with our film with Q&As, and it feels like the cinema is empty when only 50 people are allowed in. Yeah. And you see them spread out, and the lights are on. It, it looks empty. But once the lights go off, it, it just feels just the same. And I honestly, I felt like nothing had changed, to be honest. Okay, okay, good to hear. Well, if you fancy checking out Broken Law, that's Paddy Slattery, the director and screenwriter. It is on in the Omniplex in Wexford at the moment and the SGC in Dungarvan. Paddy, best of luck with it. I hope that more cinemas open and you can get more of a release, but you're hoping at some stage it will get on television as well. Is that right? I think, yeah, later down the line we'll look at TV and Netflix. But for now, we want uh, the romantic cinema experience. Yes, So yeah, exactly. I hope all your uh, audience go out and see it. Brilliant, Paddy. It was lovely to talk to you. Have a great Sunday. Thanks a million. The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie.